Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, Invisible Friend, April here, and the date today is April 24th, 2023. Welcome to Episode 175 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. A much quieter sky this week and a little chance to catch our breath after last week's big eclipse. The sun connects with Saturn and the North Node. Mars makes a sextile to Uranus and the first quarter moon in Leo places the sun and moon in a face-off with Pluto. Plus, I answer a most appropriate listener question about the two-week period between eclipses. The week begins with the sun making a conjunction with the moon's north node on April 24th at 4 a.m. Pacific Time. The sun making a conjunction with one of the lunar nodes says we have arrived at eclipse season because eclipses can only happen at a new or full moon within a certain number of degrees from the lunar nodes. So if the sun is in a conjunction with one of those nodes, again, we know we're pretty much in the thick of eclipse season. And when the sun is together with the north node, which is a point of evolution, of reaching out for something new. It means the sun is shining in the direction of growth. It's like we're little plants that grow with their faces pointed up in the direction of the sun. When the sun is shining symbolically in some area of our charts or of other points in the sky, we are first struck by how much work we have to do in this area because we can see very clearly with this bright light shining on the situation exactly how far we have and have not come. So when it's the sun with the north node, we are suddenly aware, probably in the area of our chart that contains four degrees, one minute Taurus because that is where this conjunction is taking place. And we are suddenly aware of the fact that we have really been wanting to try to go in a bold new direction in this area of our lives. And we've been feeling that way probably ever since the North Node has been in Taurus, which has been close to 18 months. Now, as the Sun is in a conjunction with that North Node, Perhaps we're getting another opportunity to see how far we've come in this area and what we need to do to experience greater growth. But as lovely as I think the North Node is, because I always see it as a symbol of achieving our promise and our purpose, it also can be painful to grow. It can be a little scary and intimidating. There is also this feeling, I think, with the sun there, with the North Node, something of the glare of the spotlight and self-consciousness when others around us see us attempting to try something new. And then we feel that if we fail, everyone will be watching and judging us. So the sun conjunct the North Node is, I think, a nice combination, potentially, 
it awakens us once more to the need to take strides in our life and to try new things and to go after something that we've been wanting to do. But that doesn't mean it's completely easy. And of course, we're also in that period between eclipses. So there is that feeling of being a little bit rattled and a little bit unsteady. The next day at 3.48 a.m. on April 25th, the sun makes a sextile to Saturn. So it goes from this conjunction with the North Node towards a nice invitational aspect with Saturn at 4 degrees, 58 minutes of Taurus and Pisces. So we have now seen the need to take steps in a new direction. And the sextile from the sun to Saturn asks, is this really worth the effort? Is this going to be permanent? Saturn at the sextile is on the Sabian symbol, five Pisces, a church bazaar. And this symbolizes, I think, there were so many opportunities out there. And as the sun was shining on the North Node too, it's sort of like a cornucopia sitting there with all of these things that we might want to try. There are so many options. So the sun's sextile to Saturn here is just saying, is this really the one we want to commit to? And always remember the sextile is an optional aspect. We're not really impelled in the same way we would be, especially with a square or maybe an opposition. A sextile says, hey, you can do this. And if you do, it could be really nice, but you're under no obligation. No one's going to force you. And if the opportunity passes you by, oh well. So whenever we have sextiles to Saturn, the question is, are you willing to commit to this and do some work? And much of the answer depends on our personal relationship with Saturn and what else it might be activating in our own birth charts and this kind of thing. But definitely the sun in aspect to Saturn's always tricky, even if it's kind of a good aspect. Because the sun symbolizes who we are and how we feel about that. Are we comfortable in our sense of self? And Saturn is always wanting us to do and be more. It's asking us to put in the work. I've been trying to take little walks each day after every meal, just short little walks. And for about the first two months, I was into it and I did it without fail. And now, of course, I'm not necessarily feeling like leaping up and going even for a short walk after every single meal. And this really is the nature of a sextile. Are you going to push yourself to do it? And it's a question of what do you hope to gain from perhaps going in this new direction that you glimpsed with the sun conjunct the north node? No one else is going to be monitoring you. It's up to you to decide if it's worth the effort to stay on track. And now for the moon report for the week of April 24th. And it begins with a first quarter moon at 7 degrees and 21 minutes of Leo on April 27th at 2.20 p.m. Pacific time. 
The first quarter moon, of course, puts the moon in an opening square aspect with the sun, which is in Taurus. And in this particular first quarter moon chart, the moon is opposed Pluto and they are both squared by the sun in Taurus. This kind of configuration can create a lot of friction and a lot of stress, but it can also be motivating. The first quarter moon in Leo pushes forward to express itself. It is past the opposition to Pluto by the time it gets to the first quarter. But there is still that shadow of rejection or diminishment of the self that comes from Pluto. And the sun in Taurus can also make us feel sometimes as if we are calling too much attention to ourselves as well. Scorpio is the missing fixed sign in this T-square. So normally I recommend when we have a T-square that if the energy becomes too overwhelming, we feel overpowered and kind of stressed out, to retreat to the symbolism of that sign that is missing a planet in that modality, in this case, the fixed modality. Scorpio is a sign of self-examination, and it's also an extraordinarily creative sign, which is something I think we overlook really often with Scorpio. And that is the whole idea of the first quarter moon in Leo. What are we going to create? How are we going to express ourselves? So this just encourages us that Instead of feeling we have to leap out into the spotlight, which Leo often feels it has to, instead, really embrace the Scorpio tactic of retreat, of spending time alone, digging deep, and figuring out in particular what's going on inside of us. And then that, in turn, can really inform the creative efforts that we put out into the world. At this first quarter moon, push forward with creative efforts, even if you feel that others are not with you or that others are not appreciating what you're doing. And take your power back. If people push you about expressing yourself, push back. This is the first critical point as well in a lunar phase family cycle. That began on July 28th, 2022 at five degrees and 38 minutes of Leo. That eclipse point was in a beautiful trine with Jupiter. And at that new moon, the feeling would have been the wind is at your back and go ahead and show the world what you've got. Now, this is the moment to show commitment to the big plans, the big adventure that you might have envisioned then. And there are voices around you probably right now that are kind of dismissive or discouraging even about wanting to follow our hearts. And it's up to us to decide, are we going to let those voices stop us? Let's talk about the void, of course, moon periods for this week. On April 24th, the moon in Gemini squares Neptune at 5.15 a.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for about six and three quarter hours before it enters Cancer at 11.58 a.m. This is a Monday morning. And when I think of the moon with Neptune, I think put your dreams into words. It's the moon in Gemini. Cut 
through the fog that Neptune can sometimes bring our way, especially on a Monday morning, by talking things through, writing them down, taking the nebulous emotions of Neptune and putting them into language. The square between the moon and Gemini and Neptune and Pisces says this isn't easy because so much about Neptune defies language. This is why it's connected with art and music and dance, the way we express the things that are difficult to express in language. But this could be a void of course moon where you institute a Monday habit. If you can get up early enough to take five or 10 minutes before you launch into your week and just do a little writing about what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what you hope the week holds in store for you. On April 26th, the moon in Cancer is trying Neptune at 4.41 p.m. Pacific time, and it is void, of course, for almost seven hours, long void, of course, moon periods this week. And then the moon enters Leo at 11.30 p.m. Pacific time. This introduces a very soothing, trine-based void, of course, moon period after that kind of jangly square of the moon in Gemini square Neptune. Take whatever it was that you gained in clarity during that moon and Neptune square void, of course, period and lean into it emotionally. How can you set aside a bit of time each day or each week to feel your feelings and to let yourself be guided by them and healed as well. That moon in Gemini square Neptune was about the war between the head and the heart, the spirit. And there is no such war going on at this void, of course, period. It is all about surrendering to our instincts and what it is that we feel and to let ourselves be guided by them. Then on April 29th, the moon in Leo trines Jupiter at 3.53 a.m. Pacific time and is void, of course, for just over eight hours before it enters Virgo at 11.59 a.m. So the moon in Leo trine Jupiter, I mean, eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> for tomorrow, we reconcile the checkbook, you know, with the moon in Virgo. This is a very jolly void, of course, moon for a Saturday morning. Maybe use this very long void of course period to institute a habit of starting each weekend with something fun. Preferably something like taking a walk, you know, getting outdoors, Jupiter, in a new place or having brunch at a new restaurant. This is about instituting a happy habit that gets you out of your regular routine and is recreational, that really recreates you. On April 29th at 1.04 p.m. Pacific Time, Mars makes a sextile aspect to Uranus. At 18 degrees, 21 minutes of Cancer and Taurus, the Sabian symbol for Mars is 19 Cancer, a priest performing a marriage ceremony. 
And the symbol for 19 Taurus for Uranus is a newly formed continent. So in the symbol for Mars, a priest is performing a legal ritual to sanction a personal relationship. And as I used to always tell couples I worked with back when I was choosing wedding dates, weddings are not just about the couple. They are about a recognition of their role in society. But the sextile from Mars to Uranus, the rule-breaking planet, offers an opportunity to rewrite some of these rules. Uranus is on the symbol, a newly formed continent. So something in this sextile to me, Mars sextile Uranus says, doing something in your own way, but probably not completely going rogue. This might be a situation where you have a job, you like your job, you're not ready to just run away from your job, as Uranus sometimes likes to do. But you have to find a way within that organization to fine-tune things so that you're able to work in a way that is right for you. Maybe it would work better for you to change your work schedule or to work different hours or more hours from home. That's a little bit of the nature of Mars sextile Uranus. Again, it's a sextile. No one is going to force you to do anything with an aspect like this. The question really is, are you going to try to claim some more autonomy for yourself, a little more freedom and flexibility in the way you're going about your work? In this week's listener question, listener Scout asks, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the two or so weeks between eclipses. What might it mean for people born in that small window? What activities should we focus on and avoid during this time? Does this window of time have a name? For example, I read the next solar new moon eclipse is April 20th, and the following lunar full moon eclipse is May 5th. Without taking the eclipse zodiac signs into account, What is the template of energy between these two events like? What might someone born in the window between these eclipses have or experience that's unique? What should we do or not do during these transits? Many astrologers say don't begin anything during eclipse season, but does this in-between window count as part of the season? Thanks for an always fabulous podcast. Well, Scout, thank you for your question and for your kind words. I don't know of an official term for that two-week period between eclipses. And the way it works is we'll have a solar eclipse, and that can be accompanied within two weeks either side by a lunar eclipse. So either two weeks before or two weeks after the solar eclipse. And we can only have lunar eclipses alongside a solar eclipse. You're not going to have just a lunar eclipse in an eclipse season. So I will call this two-week period between eclipses an interregnum period when we are under the influence of two different eclipse regimes. One of them is solar and can be disruptive to our sense of self. 
The other one is lunar and can be disruptive to our sense of safety and security. If you were born during this two-week period, you will have a prenatal eclipse that's very close to your birthday and a progressed eclipse around your seventh birthday. The prenatal eclipse point is a highly sensitive degree in the chart. It's just the point of the eclipse nearest prior to your birth. If there is a degree of the zodiac that seems to respond really strongly for you, even though you don't have any planets or sensitive points at that degree, check the degree of the eclipse prior to your birth, or two if there were two of them. In secondary progressions, a day after your birth corresponds to a year. So if an eclipse occurred seven days after your birth, it occurs in your secondary progressions seven years after your birth. And this is often a year of big changes, sometimes on an external level, sometimes internally, sometimes both. I think a person born in that two-week interregnum between eclipses is really saturated in the unpredictable nature of eclipses. Similarly to someone who was born on the actual day of an eclipse, we can expect a lifetime with more than the usual ups and downs. Depending on the birth chart, we might see a pattern of striving for normalcy and security, only to have them repeatedly pulled out from under you. Or someone who thrives on the unpredictability of life and really achieves extraordinary things. Would such a person be wired to do really well during that two-week space between eclipses? Well, maybe. It's kind of like asking if people who were born when Mercury was retrograde do especially well when transiting Mercury has its retrograde periods. Anecdotally, I would say that certain things that usually cause them problems like learning style or communication with others might actually go more smoothly when Mercury is retrograde because the rest of the world is more or less on their wavelength. And maybe it's the same for the person born between eclipses when we reach that moment in each year's two eclipse seasons. They are like people who grow up right smack on an earthquake fault, and they have learned to live with this unexpected shaking at any given moment. They develop a kind of a sure-footedness, an ability to cope with the unexpected and with sudden change. So while the rest of us are caught unawares at eclipse time by all this jangly energy and the need to cope with change and things that are coming out of left field, These are the people who have already learned to shelter under a heavy piece of furniture or stand in a doorway. They're still affected, but they have coping strategies. As for not beginning anything on or between eclipses, I disagree. But then I got married right between two eclipses. Naturally, we've had our ups and downs. But all marriages do. We are still happily together after 30 years. A friend founded her website on the day of a solar eclipse, and it became a big success. Now, as for good things to do during this period, maybe think of them as mini Uranus transits. If something in your life has needed shaking up for a while, 
but it seemed too scary or you dragged your feet. Well, here is the moment. The message of eclipses is just that we have taken a particular road as far as we can, and it's time to go in a new direction. Eclipses and this interregnum period between them are very powerful, and their strength and their astrology need to be respected and used consciously. So proceed with caution at these times, maybe, but by all means, proceed. Scout, thank you so much for that wonderful question. You know I love to talk about eclipses. If you want to know more about eclipses, and specifically eclipses in your own birth chart, order my Moonshadow Eclipse Report. You can find it at my website, BigSkyAstrology.com, and just click on Eclipses in the main menu bar. If you have a question that you'd like me to answer on a future episode, please leave a message of one minute or less at speakpipe.com slash podcast. Or if you are a shy person, you can email me april at bigskyastrology.com and be sure to put podcast question in the subject line. That's everything I have on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe or follow in your app of choice. Leave a rating or a review, and I hope that you'll spread the word by telling an astrology-loving friend about the podcast. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. I want to thank everybody who has shown enormous support for the podcast over the past year. On each episode, I'm thanking some of my financial donors by name. This week, let's give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Holly Windsong Greenwood and Maria da Coseso Nobre. I'm so sorry, Maria. I'm confident that I did not pronounce that well. Holly Winsong and Maria, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. If you would like to support the show, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com. If you donate $5 or more, I'll send you my recent bonus episode for the Aries Equinox, and I will send you the one for the Cancer Solstice episode in June. That's it for this episode. Join me again right and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, find out more about her books and classes, or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes, and please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.